Kids, I see Miss Andrews is over there. She's ready to take you out to children's worship. We're going to look at a familiar passage today from Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. That text is uh, in the bulletin. Uh, it's also up uh, on the uh, screens behind me. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you've been around the church any time at all, read many Christmas passages, you'll, be, you'll remember this passage. This is the passage where the angel shows up to... Um, Joseph in a dream and tells him not to put uh, Mary away. So um, it's a, 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 a pretty profound passage. One of the things to note before uh, I pray, you know, when you read the Gospels and you read the Christmas story in Luke, uh, Mary is highlighted probably the most of all the all the characters. And even at the end of the Christmas story, it says that Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. Uh, Matthew uh focuses a little more of the attention upon Joseph. And I haven't thought a lot about Joseph. You know, not many people do. He's just kind of there, and you don't really pay much attention to him. But uh, I, I think he is a, a, a worthwhile character to consider. And uh, I'll leave you with this before I pray. Uh, more of the husbands in our church could learn to be like Joseph. I'll just leave it at that. Um <laughs> And y'all can do with that what you will. How's that? Is that good? That's good. All right. Uh, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Let me pray. Father, we come to you today thanking you and uh, rejoicing in the good news that Jesus Christ is to us. I pray today that uh, as uh, we um, prepare uh, to celebrate uh, the fulfillment of your promise, the fulfillment of our longing, the fulfillment of uh, his coming in the flesh, uh, that you would give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. Uh, Lord, unless you do that, uh, it really is just a big, empty nothing that we celebrate. And so I pray today, by your spirit, you would help us to see the magnificent thing that you have done for us, done on our behalf in Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, uh, text is in the bulletin, also on the screens behind me. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So every like six or seven years or so, there's a big dilemma around Christmas. And uh, on those years where uh, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, there's a big dilemma. And the dilemma is, do you have church on Christmas Day or not? Now, I'm not saying for you guys that it's the it's the dilemma that we have in leadership in the church. Should you know, should we cancel church? Because we all know that Christmas is a family holiday, not a religious holiday. Right. Uh, Now, some of you think, well, of course, you should cancel church. It just gets in the way of what I want to do. And, of course, we do that all the time, don't we? But it it gets in the way of what I want to do on on Christmas Day. So, yeah, bag it. That way I don't have to feel bad that I missed it. Right. Uh, I I think it's I think it's 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 pretty hilarious because the the thing about it is, you know, we we tell ourselves and uh, our our culture tells us in many ways that, yes, it is a, a time for families to gather together. And there's plenty of family here today. Praise the Lord. It's a good thing. Uh, but one of the things that is profound about that is for many of us and our families, we got issues. We have challenges. We have brokenness. We have uh, things that are a mess. Uh, and sometimes, you know, that mess uh, spills over out into our family celebrations, right? Um, this text that we've read today uh, gives us a lot of information about Jesus's family. It tells us about Joseph. It tells us about Mary. And if we had time this morning, if we read the first 17 verses of chapter uh, 1 of Matthew, and I urge you to go home and, and, and read it this afternoon, it's a genealogy. There's a lot of begats and a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. But uh, when the angel told uh, Joseph that Jesus would save his people from their sins, don't just read his people as us, that's certainly true, or or the Israelites, his people, many times when the Bible says, speaks of someone and their people, it's talking about their family, their genealogy, who they come from. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, one of the things that I've noticed this year that's pretty profound is some of the ads on TV for Ancestry.com. Have you seen those? Really profound, really interesting, almost persuaded. But I'm not going to give anybody my DNA because they don't need to know that about me. Uh, and uh, I know enough about my family to know that I'm pretty much at the top of the food chain among the people in my family. So I'll just leave it at that, right? Uh, well, so is Jesus. If you read his uh, genealogy, you see prostitutes and liars and thieves and murderers and adulteresses. Cheaters. Sounds like the church, right? So it's, it's a quite quite a pretty profound picture, right? And so so as we think about that, you know, when we read this text that says Jesus came to save his people from their sins, these are the kind of people that he came to save from their sins. And when we use the word sins, we're not talking about fibs or I tend to get a little heated about these things, or I'm jealous, or 
a little bit envious, right? The, the fact of the matter is, the, when, when the angel comes and says to Joseph that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins, he's talking about sin with a capital I-N. It's a big thing. And the fact of the matter is, as we hear that and as we read that, one of the things that may confuse us a little bit is, well, I thought Christmas was about something happier than that. But the fact is, sin never comes to us, never affects us without death. Spiritual death, physical death, relational death. It is the reality that that if Jesus came to save us from our sin, he came to save us from death as well. And so maybe today you don't feel the effects of death in your life. Maybe today you are struggling mightily with it. But I know this for a fact, that when the angel said that Jesus saves his people from sin, he saves them from sin and death. You know, we do kind of carry around in our mind this expectation that what we want the holiday to be is like a hallmark kind of thing, right? And uh, the fact of the matter is, for many of you, I hope and I pray that it is a hallmark holiday. But I also know that for many of you, it's not. Uh, one of the things I do uh, most mornings in terms of my preparation uh, is I scan every morning two two publications. Uh, one is the New York Times, and the other is the National Review. And if you know anything about politics, you would know that they have absolutely nothing in common, except I think they're both in New York. Um, but this week, they both dealt with a very unusual story, and they both had the same take on it. And so that that got my attention. Uh, a reporter uh, for the New York Times came across, someone drew his attention to a Craigslist ad uh, in a town in the Midwest from a woman, a grandma, widow, who was offering her services as a grandma to any family who would take her for the holiday, that she would bring gifts and she would even bring cook for the family if they would just take her in. Well, of course, you know, uh, reporters, journalists look at this with, you know, a side eye, right? Like, really? Really? Come on. That seems like, that does seem like a Hallmark movie. So the guy does the research and digs in it and contacts the grandma. The grandma has a daughter and a granddaughter. She's estranged from her daughter and is not allowed to see her granddaughter. She, uh, earlier this month, uh, her granddaughter uh, participated in a ballet dance recital, and Grandma stood outside the studio and watched through the window. Wow. Right? Now, maybe Grandma's the Wicked Witch of the West, and she had it coming. Right? Maybe. I don't know. I know grandma's a sinner. I know her daughter's a sinner. And I know that in that situation, as we, as we think about that and we hear the words of the prophet and we hear the words of the angel saying he will save his people from their sins, that's the kind of mess 
that Jesus came to redeem. That's why on Tuesday night when we gather to worship and we say that there are glad tidings of great joy, it's precisely because of that. Because Jesus, when he looks at his family tree, when he looks at us and he sees the brokenness, uh, the, 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 the sin, the rebellion, the ugliness there, he strides right into that, walks right into that and takes that on to save us from that and its consequences. So it's a pretty profound thing for us to kind of unpack and, and think about, uh, today, tomorrow, the next couple of days as we, as we, as we celebrate this. So let's, let's look a little bit at this passage, just draw a couple of things out for, uh, for our encouragement today. So the first thing you may note is this is an odd thing. If you're not familiar with first century Jewish marriage customs, it says that Joseph was betrothed, but they're not really married. And so, uh, it shows up that somehow or other she is with child, right? She's pregnant, you know, can't hide that, but for so long, right? Uh, and he's got to do something about it. Now, how, how did this work? Well, in the first century, um, uh, unlike the way it is today, we think we think of marriage as primarily a relationship between one man and one woman, and it is that. But in the first century, in small villages in rural uh, uh, Palestine, it was about families coming together. And so two families would decide together that their children were going to get married, and there would be a kind of a, an agreement drawn up about that, and there would be an exchange of property or maybe money, sheep, goats, money, that sort of thing. And this would take a sometimes as long as a year to develop. And then once all of everything was, all the niceties were taken care of, perhaps after a year, there would be a wedding ceremony and a party that would go on for as long as a week. Wow, a week. Remember Jesus turning the water into wine? That wasn't after an hour and a half at the, at the reception. This, these people have been at this a long time. So, so the, the, the contract's been signed. Mary and Joseph are, are uh, doing everything they need to do to prepare to get, get married. And here, all of a sudden, she turns up pregnant. Now remember, maybe in, in our day and age, we may think, well, that's not that big a deal. You know, I mean, the, the kids, you know, these kids today, you know, uh, you would think that, except when you, when you grow up in a small town, like Nazareth, and everybody knows everybody else, and everybody knows everybody else's business, and, and, and even better than that, everybody has an opinion <laughs> about everybody's business. Just imagine the talk. Down at the beauty shop, out at the gym, in the town square, right? And there's um, certainly there's all kinds of talk, right? Because some people might say, well, look at Mary. What did she do? She she went out and, you know, did something terrible. Right. Or 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 maybe they think, you know, look at look at, you know, Joseph and Mary, you know, (laughs) they couldn't wait till they got married, could they? Well, Joseph knows he's not the father. Right. Well, if, if, if the, the full on mosaic law were to be applied in this situation, 
and it was proven that uh, Mary had been unfaithful in this situation, then uh, Moses' law provided for her to be put to death. It's probably unlikely that that was actually happening in the first century, but that's how serious and that's what a mess this is. And so one of the things that if you read the Gospels carefully enough, you know that this cloud of origin hangs over Jesus his whole life. When Jesus would speak about his father, remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees would say things like, hey, we know who our father is. Do you? Right? So it's a scandal, probably the biggest thing to hit Nazareth in 50 years. And so Joseph could have made this all about himself. He could have made a reality TV show out of it and and uh, hyped the scandal and that sort of thing. But he's not like that. It says because he is a righteous and just man, he he considers these things and he resolves to put her away quietly to to not shame her. And it says that he was very deliberate about this, that he considered these things, that he took time to think and to pray about what he was going to do. But nevertheless, this was a mess. It's a broken relationship. And, and by simply breaking off the engagement, he is, is putting in reality what it really has, has happened here, that she's been unfaithful. He's asleep one night and an angel shows up and begins to speak to him. Now, one of the things that may, you know, you, you may be thinking about the Bible, what little bit we know about it, and you may be thinking, well, you know, angels show up all the time. No, they don't. And in fact, at, from this, the, the, what you see at the beginning of the New Testament is a burst of angelic and divine activity. You know, at the end of Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament, until Matthew, it's about 400 years. And during that 400 years, there's not a lot of revelation. In fact, there's none. There's, and it may seem like God is silent. God's never silent. And it may seem like God's inactive. God's never inactive. But suddenly here in Matthew chapter one and in the first couple of chapters of Luke, there's this burst of activities because an angel shows up and speaks to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And miraculously, a baby is conceived. And then an angel shows up and speaks to Mary. And suddenly a baby is conceived. And 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 it's it, uh, Joseph is befuddled by this. And an angel shows up and tells him what to do. So God is on the move. There is a dynamic thing happening here that God is disrupting the normal lives and routines of his people, right? So this angel comes to Joseph and speaks to him and tells him what's going on. Next slide, AJ. So this, all of this is quite surprising. This is disruptive. Nobody expected anything like this. Certainly nobody expected the Messiah to come from Nazareth. Nobody expected a, an, an elderly priest and his wife to, uh, to have a baby, John the Baptist. I mean, all of this stuff is such a mess. And just imagine, you know, I mean, think about this for a second. Uh, you know, we, we're so familiar with this story, it never occurs to us. If a girl shows up pregnant and you say to her, what happened? And she says, I was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And this is how this happened. Well, we're scientific, rational people. That doesn't happen. God doesn't. Maybe you got a God. 
But he didn't do stuff like that, right? So, I mean, it is a, it is a, it is kind of a, a crazy and, and stunning thing. So when, when this happens, what the, the people are, be, are, are just stuck with, well, well, what's going on, right? So Joseph begins to think, well, this, obviously she's been unfaithful, but this child was not the result of Mary's infidelity, but of God's fidelity. She hasn't been unfaithful, but God has been faithful to the promise he made millennia ago. It's not Mary's unfaithfulness, but God's faithfulness that's being displayed here. It's not a result of sin, but this child comes to save from sin, to save the world from sin, to save Joseph even from his sins. And and so the angel says, take her as your wife. This is bigger than both of you, which is which is such a terrible and countercultural story for people in Richmond, Virginia in 2019 in December, because nothing is bigger than my story. Right? My story is the important story. Oh, there wouldn't be Christmas without my story. <laughs> right? There, there wouldn't have, how could there be a holiday celebration without me? I, you know, after all, what was there before I got here? And it'll be sad for all of you when I'm no longer here, right? Now, I'm, I'm, I know this is harsh. It sounds terrible, but the fact is, the, the, the truth of the matter is what God is doing here and what God has done in our lives, praise the Lord, is bigger than us. We're caught up in it. He sees us. He comes for us. He's at work for us. But this thing that he is doing is bigger than, than just a, a, a dealing with the gossip in a tiny village in first century Palestine. What he is doing is he is bringing to fruition something that's been in the works forever. Right? Next slide. So the, the thing that you have to see about this is, is that this, what's happening here in Matthew chapter one is the fruition of what God started in Genesis chapter three. Remember when, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, when Adam and Eve fall, they begin, they cover themselves with their fig leaves and God comes to them. He pursues them and he says to them, what is this you've done? And of course they blame shift. Of course they, their relationship is broken, uh, and it's a terrible, terrible situation, right? But God strides into that situation. He covers their shame, covers their bodies, and he gives to them a promise that the woman will bear a child, and that child will stomp on the head of the serpent. Well, uh, this this promise that God makes gets little fulfillments all along the way. Before long, uh, God will bring a child into the world named Isaac and a child into the world who will come and carry the promise forward. Even Ahaz, this text we've read from uh, from Isaiah 7 today, if you were in here earlier today when we read that, you might have been confused about honey and curds and and all of that kind of stuff. But but that's a promise, right? That's the God fulfilling in a, in a small way that by the birth of a child, there will be a sign to his people that he has not forgotten them, but that he remembers them and that he will come and, and, and deal with them. Ahaz is a pretty lame uh, king. But what God says to him is, look, a virgin will conceive and she'll have a baby. And before that baby's very old, these threats against you will dry up and blow away. And then in Matthew 1, God is saying, 
all of this work, all of this preparation, all of this begatting and all of these centuries of people rising and falling and rising and falling, rising and falling. Here it is, the fruition of what I I promised to Adam and Eve all those millennia ago. That's what we're, we're caught up in that stream. We're in the midst of that. And so when Jesus is, is promised to us as the one who will save his people from their sins, he saves Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. He saves David and Samson. He saves us. Right? Now, uh, a couple of things to note about this is one is that uh, the angel says to call him Jesus uh, because he will save his people from their sins. How many times did you say Jesus this week? Even in anger, cursing, or in crying out, pleading, or in pleasure of the work of of God uh, in your life. Well, whether you were cussing or not, Every time you say his name, you're declaring the gospel. Because his name says he will save his people from their sins. It's a pretty profound uh, thing uh, for us to kind of unpack and think of today. But not only does he say his name will be Jesus, uh, the prophet goes on to tell us here that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they be called, uh, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus will save us from our sins by becoming one of us, by walking with us so that our God knows what it's like to be born. Our God knows what it's like to have his diaper changed. Our God knows what it's like to have people misunderstand them. Our God knows what it's like to be lonely. Our God knows what it's like to have people lie against him. Our God knows what it's like to be sick. Our God knows what it's like to die. So when we say that he is God with us, it doesn't mean that he's just along for the ride, but that he experiences the fullness of what the human condition has to bring. And by doing that, by identifying with us, he dies our death and rises again in newness of life for us. If there's going to be a disruption in my life and in your life, if there's going to be a disruption in our families, This year, let it be this kind of disruption that Jesus breaks in to your holiday gatherings and he says to you that he is here to redeem your brokenness and your rebellion and your hardness and your coldness of your heart. Because that's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he died. And that, my friends, is why we have a party. Hear these words of institution, the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, Let's use this uh, really old uh, confession of sin printed in the bulletin also uh, up on the screens behind me. Would you pray with me? Lord, you created man from the dust of the earth and made and formed him in your image and likeness, good, just, and holy. We were able by our own will to conform in all things to your perfect will. But when we were in honor, we did not understand it, and we did not recognize our excellence. We subjected ourselves willingly to sin and consequently to death and the curse, listening to the word of the devil. For we transgressed the commandment of life, which we had received, and by our sin we separated ourselves from you, our true life, and we corrupted our entire nature. So we made ourselves guilty and subject to physical and spiritual death. We became wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all our ways. We forfeited all the excellent gifts which we had received from your hand, and we retained none of them except for small traces, which are enough to make us inexcusable. Moreover, all the light in us is turned to darkness. As the scripture teaches us, the light has shone in the darkness And the darkness did not receive us. Here, John calls all of us darkness. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness didn't receive it, but the darkness does not overcome it either. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This morning when I, uh, when we were doing this, uh, at the nine o'clock service, I thought, wow, this is pretty dark. And then I thought, you know, <clears throat> I'm pretty dark. <laughs> uh, and so it's a good thing for me to know that uh, the light shines in the darkness because 
Uh, if it were up to me, I'd put it out probably. And uh, I would suspect for some of you today, the reality is that uh, Christmas, uh, you miss the good news that Christmas is because the sins that Jesus saved you from are things that, you know, given a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of education and a little bit of technology, you could solve yourself. But the truth of the matter is, and the great news is today, that the name Jesus tells us the truth of the gospel, that he will save his people from their sins. And so I am here to tell you today, if you have any sensitivity in your heart at all towards sin, if you are struck today by your coldness or your harshness, if you are struck today by your envy, if you're struck today by your unencourageableness, if you're struck today by your overwhelming anxiety and fear, if you're struck today by your faithlessness, your temptation, and the besetting sin that you struggle with day in and day out, if those things are true of you today and you have a sensitivity to that, you need to hear the message of the angel that his name is Jesus and he has saved you from that. That's what we celebrate. And that is the goodness of our God being coming to fruition in time and in space and the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day where he will come and this salvation that his name reminds us is of will not only be ours as he raises us from the dead, but it will sweep over the whole universe and the whole world. And what God did by raising Jesus from the dead, he will do for all of creation. If that's your hope and that's your confession today, even if you barely hold on to it, in fact, you're not holding on to it, the only hope you have is that it holds on to you. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. Jesus wants you to come down here this morning in what will be really, whether you realize it or not, a bold act of faith to say, yeah, that's for me. Jesus saved me from my sins. And, and that list of his people, I'm on that list. Along with the scoundrels, along with the sinners, he did that for me. That's what we recognize. That's what we celebrate. Uh, that is what we're here to eat and drink to this morning. So as the elders and deacons uh, come down front to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. Uh, the inner rings are grape juice. All the bread is bread that is gluten-free.